Oh, man, you must have been dead if you weren't touched by that song. (laughs) That was so, so beautiful. Thank you for blessing us with all your hard work and with your ministry of music. Praise God. In a speech, a wise and veteran president of a world-class university made this observation as he was giving his speech. He said, there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who don't know what's happening, those who watch what's happening, and those who make things happen. Now, we haven't gone too far into the book of Nehemiah, but I think you'd all agree that he's one of those people that God uses and works through to make things happen. And so when we come to his life, his life can be a blessing to us. His life can open up new doors of possibilities that God is doing in our lives. We're only in the second message, but you may be wondering to yourself, what could I ever have in common with someone like Nehemiah? You see, we look at these people that are recorded for us in the Word, and we say, well, that's them, and I'm me. (laughs) You know, well, how can I be one of these guys, you see? But we do have a lot in common with him, because if you're a child of God, God has placed you on this earth to do something for him, each and every one of us here. We may not think it, we may not feel it, you know, just now, but God has something for us to do, each and every one of us. We are not here merely to receive blessings from God, but to share them and use them to glorify God. You see, and that's something that sometimes goes under the radar. Whether it is to share the good news of the gospel, whether it is to share the timeless truths of God, or it is to show God's love and better the lives of others, God has an assignment for each and every one of us. For God's word through the life of Nehemiah, we have been trying to find answers to important questions. Such questions as this. What kind of person is God looking for to do his work? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that? Could God ever use me and use you and so on and so forth? Those are an important question. Another important question. How does he guide and lead them along the way? When God does give us his assignment, how can we be sure? How can we be sure? How can we know that God wants us to do this or to do that? If you're wondering about the building program, for example, you might be wondering, uh, or uh, what is it that God wants you to do? But at this point in time, if you are asking yourself these important questions, then you're in the right place because God has something to say to you. The question is, are you listening? Are we listening? You see, you're here physically, you're here in body, but are you here in spirit and mind and heart? You see, that's a different story. But God, hopefully, hopefully you are here in all three of those and you're ready to listen to God. As we move into this, we want to do just a quick review. It's very short because it's only the second message. (laughs) And in this message here, we uh, we learn so much from the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah serves the king of Persia as a cupbearer and a confidant. He had a trusted place. He had a cool job, (laughs) as it were. He wasn't one looking for what he was going to be doing the next day. He wasn't worried about if he was going to have enough food or shelter or clothing. He worked for the king. Okay, And so Nehemiah cares deeply about his countrymen, especially after hearing the report from uh, others who had just returned from Jerusalem. 
He is so touched that he is driven to his knees and, and weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. As we learned last week, we know that who is God looking for? God is looking for those who care about what he cares about. You see, if we have no interest in what God cares about, then why should God choose you or me? You see? And so God is looking for people who care about the things that he cares about. But when God finds them, we find that he moves in an unusual way. He doesn't just say, okay, here's your assignment, go. But rather, he drives them to their knees in times of weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. And in their praying, what are they doing? They sense this heavy load of sinfulness that's in their life. And they realize that if I'm going to take on this, 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 this mission for God... I've got to be close to God. And the way to do that is to atone for their sins, to re- repent of their sins, and to ask forgiveness for their sins. And so they do this. And that's what happened to Nehemiah. Whether they're sins of pride or stubbornness or sin selfishness, they're all revealed and they're all dealt with. I hope that you will remember one key thing that we learned last week, that remember, before anyone does anything for God, there is a brokenness over sin before God. You see, we don't just rush out, but we got to draw close to God. And one thing that keeps us from drawing close to God is our own sinfulness. And that has to be dealt with first. This is the pattern that God uses for his people. This is what happened here in the case of Nehemiah. So, Nehemiah prays. Nehemiah confesses his sins. Now what? What's the next step? What's on, the, what's on the, the God's agenda for Nehemiah? For God had to deal with certain things that might have been going on in Nehemiah's life. For example, did Nehemiah really get an assignment from God or was it just some kind of emotional moment? He was just swept up in the thing. How could he be swept up? Is Nehemiah's experience just a break in the action from his comfortable, predictable life at the court of the king of Persia? Was he somehow caught up with this idea of helping God's people because he wanted a break and a distraction from the routines of his life? Now, before we make such quick judgments, let's see what God does with him to affirm him and confirm him. No, this is really a mission from God. And this is something he wants Nehemiah to be a part of. And this is exactly what happens as God leads him through two very serious experiences. And then we see the results of it at the end. So what are these experiences? Well, if you turn with me me to Nehemiah chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we see that Nehemiah goes through a period of testing a period of testing. God tests Nehemiah to see if his care for God's people and commitment to them is genuine. Okay? Yeah. If God were to look on the outside and see his tears and see him on his knees and all that kind of stuff, yeah, it must be real. It must be real. But is it? It's only what's going on on the outside. What's going on on the inside, you see? And the only way God knows, is that, of course, God can look on the inside, but the one way that God affirms this is that he starts putting through a series of tests. And the first one is the test of time, the test of time. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, starting with verse 1, Now I was the cupbearer to the king, and it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Let's stop there. 
Why is that important? Because if you look at chapter 1, his experience, his, the report he got started in the month of Cheslev. And now he's in the month of Nisan. What is that? It was four months later. Four months. There's four months between chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, and the beginning of chapter 2. You see? What's going on here? I prayed. I confessed. Let's get on with it. Four months passed. Man, what must have been going on in Nehemiah's at this Nehemiah's mind and heart? He was perhaps he was praying more, perhaps he was planning more. Maybe he was doubting, maybe he was beginning to wonder. You know, maybe, maybe I was just bored with my job and 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 this this sounded good. This was my out. This was my escape. God was testing him with time. For whatever reason known only to God, the door for Nehemiah to talk to the king wasn't opened. For four months, Nehemiah was being tested over time. But there was another test that still had to be done as well. The four months had passed, and now picking up with the rest of verse 1, we find out that Nehemiah underwent the test of circumstances. The test of circumstances. There were still some key items Nehemiah had to have to go on his mission for God. And if you look at verse, the latter half of verse 1, it says that wine was before him. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had been, not been sad in his presence. I was, Nehemiah was not one to wear a, a sad face. And then on to verse 2. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. He was afraid. Why? Because it's not good to be sad in the presence of the king. The king does not want unhappy people around him. All right? He wants joyful people. He wants people that are, you know, upbeat. You know, that kind of thing. And so this really struck a a note of fear in Nehemiah's heart. And then I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. Then the king said, this is key, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah had to be very careful here. He had to be careful what he said. He couldn't say, well, I don't like the working conditions. Could you up my pay a little bit or something like that? You know, he couldn't do that, all right? Nehemiah had to be very careful how he answered the king at this point in time. He had to pull together all of his knowledge of his conversations with the king in the past. He knew him like a book, and he had to be careful how he asked him. I mean, after all, this was a Gentile king. He was not Jewish. Why should he even care about the Jewish people? In his whole kingdom, in his whole empire, the Jewish people were just a small speck. They didn't have any natural resources that he needed, <laughs> okay? They didn't have great globs of treasures and gold and things like that that he, he coveted. They were just a small, you know, nondescript people. And yet, God was working in his heart. Why would the king be so anxious to lose a trusted, competent confidence? After all, he took all this time to, to get close to Nehemiah. He finally found one he can trust. Good help is hard to find, <laughs> the good king could say. But he had to be careful what he said. And so he goes on, verse, verse 5 and 6. It says this. It says, 
I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. The king did give him permission, and it probably wouldn't be for very long, but he said, okay, you can go. Okay, you can go. He gave him permission to go. But there was still something else that Nehemiah needed, and this is found in verse 7. And in verse 7, Nehemiah makes this request, And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. Why was this letter so important? Because it guaranteed safe passage. It was protection along the way, you see. And so Nehemiah was not stupid. He knew that this was a long journey. This involved several months of travel. He'd have to go through a lot of different territories. And he wanted to be sure that he had the protection of the king. And he had a letter to prove it. What else did he need? Well, it's found in verse 8. He found in verse 8. And. <laughs> I like this. Verse 7. And. Verse not 8. And. <laughs> and he says, A letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me, not charge me, but give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress by which which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. Look at the answer. And the king granted them, meaning all of them, to me because the good hand of my God was on me. He needed these things and God gave him all of them. It was a way of affirming and confirming Nehemiah, that he was on the right track and he could trust God to continue to direct his path. What does that mean for you and me? In our lives, God will direct us to certain paths and with all kinds that come with all kinds of hurdles and obstacles. It could be passing a certain test. It may be convincing a certain interviewer. It means securing permission from one agency over another. What are these? Are these just hassles? Are they just random uh, acts of torture by God, you know, to make things difficult? No. What they are, they're God's way of affirming to Nehemiah that he was on the right track, he could trust God, and that he was truly committed to what he was about to do. You see, Nehemiah waited four months. He said, oh, I guess God forgot about me. Oh, I guess it must have just been something I ate. It must have been just something I was dreaming about. It's never going to happen. Boom! God walks in and says, you need these three things. Boom! All three things show up. And it affirms Nehemiah as never before. Let me give you a living illustration. and take it from my own life. My journey to seminary took 10 years. Not 10 years to finish. 10 years to get to the seminary, okay? It took 10 years, two applications, and one rejection. Halfway in, about five years, I made application to the seminary, and they answered me back with one sentence, no. (laughs) 
No explanation. Nothing. Just no. Okay? They, do, they weren't going to take me. And so another five years pass. I make another application. This time, it wasn't a no, but it was, we're sending you to a special committee. Special committee. Apparently, the seminary has this practice that in, in situations like mine, where I've been married and I have five kids and all this kind of stuff, and, and I'm older and my GPA is not so strong and all this kind of stuff, there's a lot of doubts about this boy. You know, are we going to let him come in here? You know? And so they put it to the special committee of five godly faculty members who would pray over the situation, and then they would render their, their, their decision from the Lord. Six months pass. How long does it take these guys to pray? Man. Finally, six months later, they come back with a letter and say, you're accepted. But there was a big but in the sentence. Provisionally, that you prove you can keep up with the work. I said, whoa. Okay. Ten years, two applications, one rejection, one sort of sketchy acceptance. And I'm there. You see, test of time, test of circumstances. Why? Because God wanted to make very sure that I wanted to be there and I was convinced that God wanted me there. You see, it wasn't a pain. It wasn't a hassle from God. It was intentional so that I could be affirmed. And many a day when I doubted why I was ever there in that awful place called Dallas, Texas, you know. Whenever I asked myself, why did I leave the beautiful Bay Area of California for the deserts of Dallas? I look back and say, no, God wants me here. You see? And so those are the kinds of things that God puts us through. Each step of the way, God opens the way and supplies the means. Why? So that we could be affirmed in our decision for the Lord. But it doesn't stop there because if you go on a little further, you see that Nehemiah goes through a period of trial. And this is found in verse 9 through 16. God leads Nehemiah to see firsthand how much had to be done. You see? And so Nehemiah embarked on a journey to Jerusalem that takes several months. They didn't have bullet trains. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have all of those things that would get us there in a few hours or a few minutes but rather he had to go on this long, dusty journey. He had to eat food that was almost food. And, and all of these kinds of things, he had to, you know, find things to drink. And he had to, it was not easy. At any time, he could have turned back. He could have said, oh, I changed my mind. Go back to the secure job that he had. The king would surely welcome him back. Maybe even promote him. Who knows? You see? He had all of these things, but he went on this journey. That was part of the trial. Another part of the trial is when he gets there, he experiences the situation up close and personal. Look at verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. And then as you go on further to verse 11, So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days, and I rose in the night, and I and a few of men with me, 
I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, for there was no place for my mount to pass, he says in verse 14. In verse 15, so I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned, he says. He got to see up close exactly what was demanded of the job. It's one thing to hear about a situation. It's another to see it, smell it, and taste it, and experience it firsthand. I'm sure that God was very interested to see how Nehemiah would react when he arrives on the scene and sees all that needs to be done. Would Nehemiah be turned off or would he be turned on? That would be the question. You see, sometimes we have these grand views of projects that God gives to us and we say, I could do it, I can do it, send me, send me. You know, and we're jumping up and down like a student in a classroom, you know. But once we get there on the ground, oh my, now what did I get myself into? Oh, did you see that? Oh, did you see it? Wow! You know, those kinds of reactions. I'm sure God was anxious to see what was Nehemiah's reaction. Nehemiah had had the chance to see what he was about to get into firsthand. But then he responds, or he doesn't respond, depending on how you read this. Verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. What was he doing? Nehemiah was analyzing. He was evaluating the situation. He was probably, knowing him being a man of prayer, he was praying to the Lord. Man, did you see this? Did you see that? Where do I start? Where do I begin? The job was so massive. How am I ever going to get this done? The best thing he did was he didn't say anything to anybody. It wasn't time. He didn't want to be distracted by other people's opinions and conclusions. He wanted to come to his own conclusions. It was a time to get before the Lord. It's not an act of unfaithfulness to take time to analyze and to evaluate. In fact, it can be very profitable. It can be very profitable. One of our daughters was, felt called of the Lord to go into missions. And so she came to us and she said, Dad, Mom, I'd like to go into missions. And we said, do you know where? No. Do you know who? No. Do you know what you're going to do? Not really. Good answers for parents, right? And so we look at our daughter and says, uh, okay, now what do we do? And so we look to our church, and our church had a very strong missions program. We were very good and very enthusiastic about sending people on mission trips, okay? And so we said, why don't you go on a mission trip? And she said, okay, you know. And so she signed up for a mission trip, and then next you know, the following year she signed up for another one, and then the following year she signed up for another one. 
But you know what God was doing all that time? Was he was taking her to all these different continents. She went to South America. She went to Africa. She went to Asia. She went to all of it. Now, it wasn't a tour. It wasn't a vacation. All right? But when she went there, she talked to the missionaries. She did what missionaries do. She got her hands dirty. She got in there and did all the stuff that they would do on a day-to-day basis. She was getting a first-hand experience with what she would be doing, you see. And then when she came back, we said, well, do you still want to do missions? Uh, Yes, Mom and Dad, I I think I do. He says, where are you going to do it? I don't know. Who are you going to do it to? I don't know. But I know I want to do it. I want to do missions for the Lord. Well, as God would have it, fast forward her life video and, and the DVD and what happens is that she ends up getting married and she ends up uh, continuing on in her career and then what happens she gets children and all this other stuff and maybe the dream was gone maybe no more missions maybe what happens she applies to a Christian university she gets accepted as a professor she goes for her interview And they said, one of the things we'd like you to do is take our students on mission trips. And she says, I won't just be working with one people group. I will be able to multiply my passion for missions through many students who will reach many people groups. You see, God works that way. God works that way. And I am so excited about what may happen in the future with her. But God does this. He puts us in positions where we can see up close and personal what we are going to be doing. What will our reaction be? Will we be turned on or turned off? Will we be scared off? Or will we be attracted to? Or will we be just as strong as we ever were? You see, when God calls his people, he just doesn't order you out. But what he does is he puts you through tests. And he puts you through experiences where you can see up close what it is that you need to do. Why? So that you can be affirmed and convinced, this is what God wants me to do. Well, what did all this testing and trying lead to? What was the final result? Well, this is found for us in verses 17 through 20. 17 through 20. And then verse 17, then I said to them, then I said to them, meaning the officials, all the people he listed in verse 16, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. What was Nehemiah's reaction? Did he run back to the king? (laughs) Did he go back to his cozy job as cupbearer and confidant to the king of Persia and live in the lap of luxury? No, he didn't. He went to the people. He went to the people. And he went to the people. This was his moment of truth. God had affirmed Nehemiah. He He had the chance to see the situation firsthand. He had time to deal with all of his doubts and fears. Now it was time to step up and share his decision Uh, Before the people, this was his moment of truth. Would he step up or would he step back? Would he be true to what what he believed God was leading him to do? Well, let's see. 
In verse 17 that we just read, he describes the bad situation. He tells it like it is. Notice in verse 17, notice that he uses the word we and let us. He is one of them. He doesn't say, you all are in a bad situation like we would say in Texas. He didn't say that. He just says, you need to build the wall. He didn't say that. He says, we have a bad situation. We, let us rebuild the wall. He was putting himself in the same group. He was extremely honest, he was accurate, and he was clear. Notice that Nehemiah doesn't make any grand promises. He doesn't spread any grand visions. He doesn't have a catchy phrase. He just says, bad situation. Let's rebuild the wall. (laughs) Wow. That will attract a crowd. You know, today, you've got to have all this other stuff. Nehemiah would not win any awards for leadership because he didn't have all the things that we've become accustomed to. Are they helpful? Yes. But are they needful? No. Nehemiah showed that. He just said, we've got a bad situation. Let's rebuild the wall. But then he goes, it's not enough that you just be honest like that. All right? It's not that, you know, you explain the obvious. We got a bad situation, you know. What does he do next? Look at verse 18. And, uh, 18. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. Wow. He just simply shared. And then he shares now how God had already been at work. He showed how the Lord had opened the heart of the king, assigning soldiers to protect him, allowing me to, to cut as many trees as he needed to get the job done. Why all this sharing? It was to show them that God was with them. God was in, in them. God was for them. You see, what God's people need are not catchy phrases, although they may help. They don't need grand visions, although that may help. The thing that God people need when they're on mission for the Lord is they need to know that God is with them and for them and in them. Nehemiah brought that. He says, look, folks. Look what God did in the heart of the king of Persia. And they were wise enough to see that. And they were encouraged to rise up and do more. For any mission for God, it is important for God's people to see and know God is with them. And later, as the experience goes on, they will realize that he was all they ever had and all that they needed. But that takes time. That takes time. But at the beginning here, this is what the people needed. It's important to note here that as God, whenever we are called for, to God, and we are involved in building something for God, it's, not, it's more than just a building, an organization, or even a ministry. It is more than that. It is an experience. It is a shared journey of faith. 
It is leaving a legacy of faith for generations to come. That is the important thing. The building may be the goal, but it's not the final destination. What is, is God teaching us along the way. God building into us this, this legacy of faith that we need to have. God is not rebuilding a building. He's rebuilding our heart for him. He's reviving us. That's what he can do as we walk with God and as we see him in a different way. I take my own example when I was growing up and we were just a bunch of, not even, some of us, not even teenagers. I don't think I was a teenager yet. And, and uh, all I knew was God wanted us to build a church. So we bought this old house and we dug it out with our hands. Literally, we went there after school and we dug out the basement to be our sanctuary. Okay? And then we hauled the dirt out. We had no heavy equipment. I was the heaviest equipment they had. You know? And so we just hauled that stuff out. And then if we saw God work, and as God began to, to open up the, the, hall, the, the doors of City Hall, and the, the government was suddenly giving us, permission to be, giving us permission to do this and to do that, I saw all of that. Now that one building, that original church building, is gone. It, it, it's changed hands many times. I don't even know if it's still a church, okay? It's gone. But what isn't gone is the stories. It's that journey of faith that remains, you see? And I'm convinced to this day, all the good things that happened in the church, all those people who got saved in that church, praise God, and all of those type of things. But I'm convinced that for me, what remains was the lessons I learned going through that journey. They're priceless. They're priceless. They're timeless. And they allow us to go on and do more for God and trust Him more. Even in the short time I've been here at Grace, I have seen God at work, bringing people of all ages, backgrounds, and walks of life together in God's house. GBC is becoming a place where people are saved and stay and serve God. At, he, uh, God. GBC is turning in a place where believers are being transformed when they learn about the faith and they are determined to live it out daily. Where believers are becoming more Christ-like in their attitudes and actions. The building, a building, is but a tool to help us build this legacy of faith for those who are to follow after us. Anybody can build a building, folks. There are people in this world that can write one check and it's done. You see? But it's the journey. It's the journey of faith. Trusting God each step of the way. One family making a sacrifice. Another person making a sacrifice. Another person being convinced. So on and so forth. That's revival. That's what helps bring people closer to God. When you watch Nehemiah, he reached a critical point. He had to lead. He had no more hiding, no more dodging, no more midnight rides. He had to go in front of the people. And he had to tell them what he concluded. And this is what he did. We're in a bad situation. Let's rebuild the wall. Oh, 
What makes, what, how do you, how, what makes you so sure that that's what you need to do? The king gave me permission. The king gave me protection. The king gave me provision. Bottom line, God is with us. God is for us. Let's go. But that, all of that takes time to set in. God's not just going to say to you, build a building and then kick you out to go out and do it. But rather, he's going to take you on a journey where you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried to see if that is a real commitment. But at some point comes your moment of truth and you have to step up. And you have to step up. So where are you today? Before God uses his people to make things happen, he, try, he tests them and tries them. He sees if they will be true to their calling. What can you do? What can I do? Honestly, go before the Lord, submitting and confessing. Honestly, go before the Lord. Okay? Put away that pride and that stubbornness and that selfishness. Deal with it before the Lord. Then gladly go through the testing and the trying. Yes, bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring all of those things to the Lord. God will answer them. God will address them. And then boldly stand true to the mission when it comes to execute and see the good hand of the Lord. God may be calling you to build a ministry for him. He may be calling you to have a project for him. He may call you to do a task. That is, un- that is be above your understanding or above your pay grade. Okay? It's okay. Because he will guide you by leading you through a series of experiences that will affirm and confirm you to his glory. Allow yourself to be tested and tried. You will come out even more true to the mission than you thought you could ever be. Let's pray together. Father in heaven... Speak to us. Speak to us, your people. May we listen, and then may we obey. Prepare us, O Lord. Honestly, truthfully, we're scared. Honestly, truthfully, some of us are clueless as to how you're going to do this. But Lord... Walk us through it. Walk us through it. Father, I thank you for the words of the song that we just sang that ended. May our cry be the same as the author of that song. Your perfect will in your perfect way. In Jesus' name, amen.